0: 18
2: plus. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, it's a discussion between myself and Ken Ami of the website TrueFreeThinker.com. We're talking about his new book, Alistair Crowley's Influence on Papa Culture, How an Obscure Occultist Influences Culture from Beyond the Grave. For the intro, I have Michael Caine reading Rudyard Kipling's poem,
3: nor look too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools or watch the things you gave your life for broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch-and-toss and lose and start again at the beginning and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are done and so hold on when there is nothing in you, except the will which says to them hold on if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose the common touch if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you if all men count with you but none too much if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 40 seconds worth of distance run yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son.
2: Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Ken Ami. Did I get it right that time? Yes. Because I know I said it wrong last time, but he is a returning guest. He and I go way back. We both are interested in similar topics the occult. Uh, Ken is a Christian, identifies as a Christian and has written some terrific books and, and has a great website titled truefreethinker.com. So if you get a chance, go check that out. But he's recently published a book, and we're going to talk about that particular book tonight. He also has some additional books. He's a great writer and very prolific writer at that. But tonight's book is Alistair Crowley's Influence on Pop a Culture. I've studied quite a bit of Crowley, and uh, so is, so is Ken. And he's taking a different angle, kind of showing a lot of different things that I never really knew about, Things, uh, the references to Crowley in comic books and music that I didn't know about. But uh, he's going to go in greater detail about that. So, Ken, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you for having me. Awesome, man. Pleasure to talk to you again. Yeah,
2: man. It's great. It's great to uh, talk to you. I can't believe that we go back we go five, back. six years. I was looking back at an email <laughs> that we had talked about and also kind of run into some of the occultists, not in good ways, but... Uh, you know, so, so, but we're, but we're still here. We're still here. But, uh, I read through your book. I really liked it. It was awesome. I actually put a five-star review on Amazon before we started the show. So I was lucky Most to be the, the first one to, uh, to review it. I appreciate the tip of the hat to me in your book too. So, but, uh, oh, of course thank you I meant every word. Well, I appreciate that. Um, so to get started, can you, people who don't know your website, true free thinker, or you can, me, can you talk a little bit about your background, please?
4: Ooh, that is a long story, but basically, I am Jewish, and then uh, went through various phases in my life. The one I'll mention contextually for tonight's discussion is when I was in junior high school, and, uh, well, let me back up one step, so around sixth grade, I started reading about ufos uh, witchcraft and cryptozoology so those were my interests and then by the time i got into junior high school i got into um, some of the dark side you know um, death metal music horror movies basically anything that was dark that's what i was into and of course you can only do that for so long before you run into crowley right <laughs> yeah, True. very true And of course, these are pre-internet days, so you kind of had to really go looking for this stuff. True. uh, Yeah. So in essence, uh, like I mentioned in my book, I definitely consider you the premier modern day researcher of Crowley. And it is mostly because of you telling me about your book that I started kind of trying to pad the internet to be ready for this kind of point of view, which is let's talk about his uh, influence in all forms of culture. Like like you mentioned, um, comics, TV shows, movies, music, you name it, uh, people have been influenced by him.
2: Correct. And that's a long list. I mean, your book lists out in great detail um, many of the influences of Crowley and, uh, and, and, you know, you give some background about Crowley, about his his ideas, things like that. But uh, like, where did you start when you really, was it just things that you picked up in your research or did you decide to just go buy music or how did you kind of come up with with some of these people with their connection?
4: Well, let me reiterate something I mentioned to you earlier this week in an email, which is the more you look, the more you find. The more frustrating it is because there's so much out there. So even as we speak, I'm thinking of two more references that I could add to my book. I mean, it's just crazy the amount of information that just keeps pouring out about this topic. Yeah, um, so, so one thing I mention in the book, let me go back a little further than what you just asked me, which is that um, I remember viewing the documentaries, Hell's Bells, and they sold their souls for rock and roll and from what I recall both of them had sections about Crowley's influence uh, in music it was the focus of those documentaries and one of them made the point about just how many songs contain the lyric which is derived from Crowley's famous motto do what that wilt or do what that wilt shall be the whole of the law and when I heard that it blew my mind because I would played music with three different bands but I only wrote lyrics to one song and guess what the chorus to that song was, do what that will, shall be the whole of the law. That's okay. Right. And that was, that was in the early nineties. So it really, really shocked me when I heard that and the documentaries realizing I had done that myself and, and the one and only song I ever wrote lyrics for There it was, the Crowley influence. And so you were, uh, you, you started talking to me about how you were going to chase down, um, some of the big names and some of the uh, slightly old time names. And that made me think, well, let me see if I can chase down uh like a broader scope of things. And that's why I just looked at everything. Like I said, TV, movies, comics, cartoons, music. Yeah. I and mean, that's where it all derived right from. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You've got names here of people I don't know, some bands, some death metal bands, more modern names. Him, I'm not familiar. Fee- Fabry. I didn't know Damon. I knew Damon Albarn was an occultist. I didn't know that he walked around with Aleister Crowley's Universal Hexagram. That seems to be a common, you know, uh, motif or or symbol that's used often by these guys. But
4: uh, right, because I remember when i when we talked about the HR Giger documentary on Netflix, you had you told me you noticed one of the guys on there wearing that.
2: Yes, that's true. And,
4: and, and yeah, that I know who that guy is. He is the lead singer of the band Celtic Frost.
2: Interesting. And, and
4: so, yeah, that's why I'm just, I don't mean to cut you off. But what, no. they, what they hint at, what they kind of are talking about in the documentary is that Giger had allowed Celtic Frost to use one of his paintings for a cover of their album. And the cover is some kind of demonic looking guy using a crucifix with Jesus on it as a slingshot.
2: Right, I've seen it.
4: Yeah. Right. Yeah, and the album is called To Megatherion.
2: Right. To Megatherion, okay. the Great Beast right.
4: of the That's right. Character. That's right. So that was that's where that connection came from.
2: Interesting. That's fascinating. Giga yeah. still around, you know, they just uh, the newest well, Alien Covenant just came out and all <laughs> that design is by Giga, right? Okay, You're I was gonna say design. Just how are you saying that he's still around because well, personally, he yeah, he's not. <laughs> his influence, I, let me qualify that. His influence is still around. So.
4: Oh, yeah, his influence and um, also from the Species movies franchise, which is very popular as well.
2: I didn't know that. What Can you talk a little bit about that? I wasn't aware of that. What species? Yeah, well, um, it's a
4: sci-fi horror movie. If you were to see any footage from it or a still, just by looking at the creature, you would instantly say, "Okay, yeah, I recognize Giger's influence in that."
2: And the the rumor was, I don't, and he was friends with Timothy Leary. Giger was. He was also um, rumored to be the OTO head chapter of Crowley's OTO in Switzerland. I could never verify that, but that's my understanding.
4: Right, and I know both of us noticed. I, I put it in the book that photograph of Giger in one of his. Uh, art studies uh or art studios and there's a picture of you know who in the background
2: crowley right yeah well he did he he did a painting called crowley or Mm -hmm. well the b666 i think was its title and uh it's full of symbolism all these numerical references and things like that in his kind of black and white style did you ever uh, ever decipher the meanings in that picture I will, now that you mentioned that, I'm going to
4: have to look at it and um, kind of contemplate it, I suppose.
2: Because like Crow the Crowley figures wearing a, a clown's hat, like a witch's hat too, there's all these numbers in there, sevens and uh, balls and all this other stuff that's in there that I never really could figure out the totality of its meaning, but I, I thought I saw that like a numerical uh, representation of the number 11, but I have to go back and look at that, but... Uh, I think that's a remark. in addition to his other remarkable pictures, he has some other, uh, you know, occult-influenced drawings, not just these pictures of this kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. His, uh,
4: he, yes, he, he has some very strongly and obviously occultic references in there. Yeah. yeah. No question about it.
2: Yeah, so that's, that's remarkable. I mean, and then, you know, you talk about L. Ron Hubbard. You talk about the song lyrics as well. Every man and woman is a star. And uh, that's another, that was the title, you know, that Kenneth Anger used for his book, uh, what was it, Hollywood Babylon, this, this reference from the Crowley's Book of the Law. But some of these people are very famous. Taylor Momsen is the per- first person you have on the list. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but for the younger crew, you know, millions of people are watching her videos.
4: Yeah, well, see, uh, I would uh, emphasize it this way. Millions of people are watching her on a cutesy dramatic uh tv show oh,
2: she's
4: and... on a tv show
2: too i didn't know that oh yeah let
4: me see um oh
2: uh gossip girl oh she's on gossip girl i didn't
4: know that right so you know basically you're watching this cute young girl and this kind of uh comedy drama and isn't that wonderful and then you hear oh she's a singer too well isn't that interesting let me check out her singing and guess what i mean you <laughs> you're gonna get the dark side right
2: right i mean i saw one of the videos it's remarkable it's like fully occult oriented satanic lyrics is you know pretty pretty graphic
4: right and i mean i've that's been one of my things i've noticed for a long time which is for example um Oprah Winfrey would trot out Christina Aguilera to stay-at-home moms who watch her show and, oh, isn't she just a clean-cut, wonderful young lady? And guess what? No, she's not. But see, you're trotting her out for public consumption. You're painting her to be this uh, good old-fashioned girl, and but she's not. But see, that's how then A young child would go to mom and say, oh, can I buy the album or go to the concert by Christina Aguilera? Oh, sure. I saw her on Oprah. Isn't she just a wonderful gal? And, well, no, your kids are not going to get that that wonderful gal. Right. Yeah,
2: no doubt. Yeah. I've noticed
4: that it happens a lot. These people get trotted out for public consumption, just like um, Miley Cyrus being on – what's that TV show? The Voice. Right. That's right. Okay. Well, you're not going to get that cute young girl when you get look at her albums, lyrics, and videos. You're going to
2: get a, the dark side. Yeah. Her naked with all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. Right. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Taylor Mobson, and she's young. I mean, she'll probably continue to be this kind of uh, dark occult influence for years to come. I mean, she's 24 years old.
4: It's not well, Oh, I was. Yeah, let's hope she repents because yeah, you know, um, Peachs Geldof was very much the same. A, a nice young girl and guess what? She's passed away now.
2: Yeah, I write about her in Children of the Beast. I covered her because of her her either dabbling or involvement in the OTO and the kind right. of hero, heroin chic, like it's cool to do heroin kind of like Crowley did and right. uh, it led directly to her demise when she when they did an inquest into her death. They said she was like her, her arms were a pincushion. She was doing tons of <sighs> high grade wow. heroin, yeah. And she, I
5: mean, it's a tragic story. Hey guys, I got a great new deal for you. It's called Factor, America's number one ready to eat meal delivery service. Now I want you to take out a pen and paper and write down Opperman fifty O P P E R M A N five zero. Now Factor's delicious ready to eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes, you'll be ready with pre prepared, chef crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, Calorie Smart, Vegan Veggie, and more. Uh, there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition packed add ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. Snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout. And every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. Flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or schedule your deliveries anytime. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. Now head to factormeals.com front slash Opperman50. And then you use code Opperman50 to get 50% off. That's code Opperman50 at factormeals.com front slash Opperman50. O-P-P-E-R-M-A-N-5-0 to get 50% off.
3: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: she ended up dying and her baby was in her arms. I mean, how, Oh God. That's,
4: that, yeah. So, yeah, that is that, tragic. Absolutely tragic.
2: I actually, well, uh, a, friend of, a friend of mine on Facebook was her boyfriend for a little, a little bit. So I got some interesting information about her that I never really published, but it's mm. it's a tragic story, you know, and she was the daughter of, you know, uh, Geldof. The, the, what was the what's what's, uh, what's her dad's name? Um, uh, it was from the Boomtown Rats, so yes. she was kind of like rock royalty in a way. Right. This guy who did Live Aid, but um, yeah, it's just it's just a tragedy. So it's not,
4: yeah, and well, if okay, one thing that I mentioned in the book is whenever you hear modern day artists and artists of, of any format, right, um, musicians, movie makers, regardless of what they are. When, when they comment about their art, inevitably they speak of it in terms of deconstruction and destruction and breaking down taboos and you know, and all this. Uh, and that is a philosophy, right? It's not, that has not traditionally been the point of view. If you look at the true and great artists of days gone by, painters, musicians, poets, they all inevitably said that they were doing their art for the glory of God. Right. Okay. And their art has lasted for centuries. Okay. Now, modern day artists, inevitably, they talk about destruction, deconstruction, breaking down, tearing down. And you have to recognize that is a philosophy under which they're working. And so you have, um, yeah, you have uh, Crowley here supposedly channeling saying, to worship me, take wine and strange drugs. And well, the, guess what? We have a whole culture of celebrities and so-called artists doing that,
2: even to their death. That's true. And I mean, that supposedly, uh, that Book of the Law, that, that quote is recited to Crowley from Satan, according to Crowley. I mean, he veiled it, put in blinds and stuff like that, but Awas was Satan. Right, so right. So you see so... the direct tie between these doctrines and the culture and, you know, early, these people dying young.
4: Yeah, and then uh, another thing Crowley talked about uh, to stay on the – or to get to the topic of music for a second is if you remember back in the 80s and the whole satanic panic thing and all these dumb, dumb pastors complaining about how their satanic messages and records, if you play them backwards, well, they didn't just make that up. I mean Crowley himself specifically spoke about – walking backwards, talking backwards and right. and, and, playing me- and playing music backwards. So it right. has a
2: magical exercise. Yeah. That's
4: right. right. So it, these pastors weren't just paranoid. They were actually taking the guy seriously.
2: Right. And these, and you find out then that the musicians themselves are taking Crowley seriously too. Right. I mean, that's yeah. kind of, and, or these, this occult uh,
4: stuff. I, I, I will say about, um, what they call back masking. There's at least two forms. Okay. Uh, And, I mean, of course, I remember the days when you actually put a record on the needle and you could stop it with your finger and run it backwards. Now, you could run an entire song backwards and you sort of have to interpret, well, I think I heard this and, ooh, that sounds like that. That, to me, is not that impressive because you're literally just interpreting noise. But there are songs where there's obvious backwards messages. Uh, In fact, I remember when I was a teenager – I had an Iron Maiden album, and it's between songs, so it's nice and quiet. And all of a sudden, you hear this, you know, this backwards talking. It was very obvious. So I put my finger on the record and spun it backwards. And, yeah, it was definitely a, a backwards message. Interesting. You know what it said? No, what? It said, don't mess with things you don't understand.
2: <laughs> Interesting. So they, they 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 put the secret thing in there for... People who are going to do it. Oh, that's funny. Well, I think Bruce Dicker, Dickinson is a huge Crowley fan. He actually made a movie about Crowley called "Title Crowley." I think in the states and the UK it was some other name. I forgot. Uh, yeah, not, not a great
5: movie.
4: It's ironic because the drummer of Iron Maiden became a Christian, and he's a drummer in his church's worship band. And Bruce Dick, yeah, Dickinson went the other way completely. He even played in a side band called chemical wedding
2: that's right that's based upon crowley right yeah right i mean
4: chemical wedding is an alchemical term right that's right right
2: so it's interesting
4: that within that band you have (laughs) these guys going in completely opposite directions right that's
2: interesting but just to add on that i think that that was the name of the crowley movie in the uk i think he yes you're right yes yes it
4: was yes it was you're right yeah that's what it was
2: Right, so... And
4: it wasn't a very good one, by the way.
2: No, there were actually the very good sequences. There was one that I really liked, which was they had Crowley in the last part of his life when he was in Hastings at this boarding house. It was played by John... I don't know why I remember the actor's name, but John Shrapnel played an aged, like, decrepit, decaying Crowley, and he did just the perfect job. It's a shame that the Mm. whole movie was lousy, but uh, that one acting sequence... And it was... uh, the guy who was visiting Crowley turned out to be um, Crowley's literary executor by a guy by the name of John, John Simons, who wrote a book about, I think it was something about the beast. I can't remember the title of his book, but the, the OTO members thought Simons did a disservice in protecting kind of Crowley's uh, legacy, but uh, which, you know, if you're an occultist, you're probably true because I think Simons told a little bit too much truth, but it's, it's an interesting sequence in an otherwise, Pretty lousy movie, but there's a lot of co-references there. There's the Scarlet Woman. There's all kinds of stuff. Right. The, 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 the science fiction sequences they had looked super cheap. I mean, they looked like, it looked like sequences from Star Trek looked more advanced, like the original Star Trek on TV looked more advanced than what <laughs> was in this Crowley movie. But it, Bruce Dickinson's in the movie, too. He plays the kind of housekeeper at the, at the earlier part of Crowley, so you can see him in there. And he was the person who spearheaded that film. I think he wrote it and did everything. So anyway. And I know
4: people like you and I would watch that movie as unpleasant and bad as it was just to try to uh, derive some of the uh, hidden occult meaning from it. To understand what these guys are trying to tell us or tell each other.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that it's full of it. I mean, there's full of these reference occult references, Crowley, you know, this. uh, But yeah. And all these phrases and stuff that Crowley used. So. Uh, it's oh, it's getting, full of it, all right. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> something else. But moving on, the next person on your list is 311. Do you want to talk about the band 311?
4: Well, I um, was actually a big 311 fan back in the day. Um, you see here right away I mentioned the oddity of their name. I mean, why is it 311? Why, why isn't the band called 311 or 311? Uh, you know, why 311? And I certainly don't know, but I just made my guess at it right off the bat. That's something interesting about them.
2: Which is three times 11, 11 the number of magic. Is that it? Yeah. And
4: then that the, uh, well, my emphasis, what was that? Three 11s is 33. Right. So
2: you've got the the top number in, in masonry, right?
4: Right. And, you know, these guys, um, they definitely have uh, some Buddhist influence. But um, all their stuff is really saturated with uh, occult symbolism and their uh, – at least their bass player is probably the most outspoken, um, straight-up anti-Christian.
2: I think one of them has a tattoo of Do What Thou Wilt on their leg. Right.
4: Yeah. Yes. That's the one, the uh, bassist. Yeah. Peanut.
2: Yeah. 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 So they're all what, – what's the story? I don't even know who Sean Avery is. Who's that?
4: Well – one thing I wanted to mention, because honestly, I don't know a lot of these artists either. So the, the interesting thing is um, the ease of which uh, I was able to do some of this research is only because of the Internet, because if we go back a couple of decades... I don't know how I could have even compiled so many song lyrics. Where would I even find them? Right. Yeah, so, point. so it was extremely easy to go to one of these many, many websites there are that have nothing but song lyrics and just type something like Crowley in the search engine or type in uh, do what that Wilt or everyone's a star. And I got to admit it's, it got, it's, pretty spoiling as a researcher to get spoiled with the ease in which I can do that. So yeah, a lot of these artists, i never actually listened to them. Um, I'm not really aware of who they are, but I was able to quickly compile a whole bunch of lyrics and a lot of uh, different references.
2: Yeah, it's true. So let
4: me see. Yeah. Avery, uh, he actually, it's not just about his lyrics, but he actually speaks about how he's, know interested in the kind of things
2: do you know that yeah i just haven't heard his name that's all yeah Yeah, it's interesting he talks about crowley so does elijah blue Almond, who was the son of recently deceased um one of the Almond brothers what was his his, uh their sheriff's son right she's Right. right correct and so he i didn't know that he was a crowley aficionado but you know it's just like almost like it's almost like a default like right you just assume that everybody in the music business loves Crowley, mm-hmm. and then there are some oddballs, you know, that oh, don't aren't. It seems like <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, you just the the son of John Lennon's into Crowley and in anger. I mean, all these people are into this stuff. It's remarkable.
4: And but, so, one thing I also mention in here is that sometimes you look beyond the specific term "Do what thou wilt." Those words in that order, but you can also recognize that same concept and something even as seemingly uh, meaningless as the Nike motto, just do it.
2: Right.
4: It's true. right. I mean, to me, and I'm not saying that the Nike shoe company is a, out preaching occultism, but I'm saying that the message is the same, right? Yeah. In fact, um, a couple of weeks ago, I watched the documentary on Netflix about the band Twisted Sister Well, I I would be hard-pressed to say that they're satanic. They're more just like a good-time rock and roll band. But, yeah, I mean, there is footage of Dee Snyder yelling at the crowd, hey, we're Twisted Sister, and you can do whatever bleep bleep you want. It's the same basic message, which is there's no rules, there's no law. Do whatever you want, you know, even at your detriment. And that's basically the – for some reason, they think that's the rock and roll lifestyle. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know if you if you got to the point in the book about where the singer from the band Rotting Christ is complaining about the singer of Megadeth, because the singer of Megadeth, Dave Mustaine, became a Christian.
2: Oh, interesting.
4: Okay, right. so, so Dave Mustaine says, hey, you know, we don't mind touring with bands that are into the dark side of life, because the, life can be dark, but we don't want to tour with bands that are straight-up satanic.
2: Interesting.
4: Okay, and so the the singer from Riding Corpse is basically saying, "Oh, wow, you know, I thought Dave was metal. You know, he's supposed to be metal. It's like, well, okay, but what gives you the authority to define metal as therefore we must be satanic? I mean, what are you talking about?
2: Yeah, interesting.
4: It, it, you're now imposing your subjective standard onto Dave." And then you complain that Dave is imposing his subjective standard upon you. It, you're basically just uh, being hypocritical.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, it seems like now that we go back to Iron Maiden, these bands, are there are some that go Christian and some stick with the occult, right? And they seem to be fighting with each other. It's interesting.
4: Yeah, and I mean, Iron Maiden, uh, it's a special case for me because I was an Iron Maiden fan for many, 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 many years. And I'm not hesitant to say they could have gone down in history as being the most educational band. Unfortunately, they, they got into displaying a lot of, you know, um, scary, horror, satanic horror. imagery, and that kind of gave them a bad name to the outside world. Now, within heavy metal, that gave them an even better name. But, but, they do have a very educational side of them.
2: Right? Didn't Um, they do a song on the rhyme of the ancient Mariner? I mean, that was a, that's a, you know what? I'm
4: I'm glad you mentioned that because as a teenager, I read their lyrics and it said that it was based on this ancient poem. So I've got myself to the library and I looked it up. And so here I am a teenager at the library, reading a poem from the 1700s only because a heavy metal band
2: played off of it. What is it? Water, yeah. water everywhere, not a drop to yeah. drink? Yeah,
4: all the boards did shrink. Water, oh. water everywhere, nor a drop to drink. Yeah. That's right. And, uh, you know, they sang songs about um, Murder in the Room Morgue.
2: Right. Uh, so that's, yeah. uh, God, what's the, what's the author of Murder in the Room Morgue? It's, ah. Uh, oh. You know. I, <laughs> I know his face from Baltimore. His name is. Oh. I hear you typing away. I'm going to type right now. Here we go. Because right <laughs> the thing is, I the reason I knew that is because I read a compendium of all his. his Edgar Allan Poe. Poe, yes. I read and a, no, a, I mean, they, they, story. It's really good. they sang
4: historical songs, you know, uh, the Ides of March and songs about World War II. And it's all his all kinds I, of
2: right. Yeah, like all, there was a good yeah, references. I'll, yeah. I'll, Classic reference. They had a,
4: a, a lot of lyrics that dealt with history and literature, and that was awesome.
2: Right. What was the one that the, mar- the ride of the 3000 or whatever? Um, there was one about like a, a, another classic uh, poem. I forgot what it was. Well, let me put it this way. There
4: came a point. Um, once they put out their album, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, that's when yeah. I was not interested in them anymore from thereafter because honestly, uh, their music was a little too soft for my taste in those days. Interesting. <laughs> if you can imagine that.
2: <laughs> that, that. That's pretty funny. No, it was, uh, <laughs> the, uh the ride of the 3000. Now I can't remember. Oh man. The troop is based upon something like that. Oh, well, um, Anyway, yeah, Iron Maiden, you know, that's just, I mean, there's a lot of occult stuff there. There's a lot of classic literature there. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Um
0: No purchase necessary. we're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
4: See website for details.
2: Talk about next. I mean, Almond, we can go to Russell Brand, Morrison.
4: Yeah, well, I was looking at the uh, section on the Rolling Stones.
2: Okay, let's do that. Because
4: you recall that uh, I had a recent movie about the Rolling Stones by Stephen Woolley. Uh, the movie is called Stoned. Okay. And remember, I pointed out to you, wow, there's a scene in there that's an S&M scene. And they're basically having uh, an S and tryst right in front of a huge poster of Crowley.
2: Interesting, fascinating. Is it uh, interesting? Sounds like performance. You ever hear this movie, Performance? That does not sound familiar. Yeah, that, I covered that in Children of the Beast. It was a guy who actually sat on the knee of Crowley, made this movie that involved that had uh, Rolling Stones Jagger in it. Um, so it was interesting.
4: And then of course This is something that's relatively well known But on the cover of the Beatles Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Club Hearts Band There's a doll And on the doll it says Welcome the Rolling Stones Right. So the Beatles were Paying homage to the Rolling Stones And then the Rolling Stones put out The album uh, Her Majesty's Satanic Request And in there In the album they had hidden pictures of uh all four Beatles. So there's this right? kind of like circular, circular thing. Yeah, if you go okay. to the book page um 96? 97 yeah, 96, 97. It's right there.
2: Didn't uh didn't the early stones, didn't the Beatles write some of the early stone songs? That's what I remember.
4: I'm not sure about who wrote for whom, but you can see this kind of circular, hey listen to these guys and hey, listen to these guys in turn.
2: Right, helping each other out, and of course the
4: famous, uh, well-known fact that Crowley appears on the cover of the Beatles album. Right.
2: Interesting. And then let's talk about Damon Albarn of the Gorillas, and he was in Blur. Um, he walks around mm-hmm. with Crowley Seven. What is it? The Seal of Babylon on his, name right. On his guest, right. Yeah.
4: Yeah, Babylon. Yeah. yeah. Um So that's one of the. Remember, I I sent you a link to that just I think two weeks ago, and that's when I told you, go oh, uh, William. Oh, yeah, the more, everybody. the more, you know, this never ends because that's that was something brand new to me.
2: No, it, it actually it doesn't end. It, there was a guy I wanted to tell you about. He was a new rapper, and he um, his name was Absol. You ever hear of Absol? No, but I tell you what, I'm gonna have to have you
4: send me an email with all these interesting references you're bringing up that I did not include because. Well, it's there's a, a,
2: there's so much out there. You can I literally know. write another book. You yeah. have a 250-page <laughs> book. You can go to 500. Yeah. <laughs> you actually cover a lot of the new African-American artists who are referencing cult stuff. But this right. guy, Absol, actually had an album titled, Do What Thou Will. Wow. And I think straight up. Yeah, straight up. Uh, the fourth studio album of rapper Absol. And this guy's very apparently very popular. I haven't heard any of his stuff. But uh, December 9th, 2016 so it's pretty positive rep uh positive stuff from from uh critics so anyway anyway Absol was yeah. interesting you had what chant was it guy. chance the rapper what was the guy's name uh, no it was another dude it's Ciara, and the other one was uh tyler the creator right was, yeah yeah
4: um if you pretty much look up anything on on Tyler or his band, you know, his group, the odd future wolf gang kill them all. <laughs> if you look up anything uh, about them, like if you just type them into a search engine that shows images, inevitably you're going to get something satanic. It's just, that, that's how often they display that sort of a thing.
2: Yeah. He's got the pictures of Crowley all over doing weird signs. Yeah. All there. So, I mean, even the kind of African-American, what about the death metal guys? I mean, all these death metal, Merciful Fate, Coven, Rodney yeah. Christ, Winspell, these death SS, these bands I've never heard of, but all cruelly. Yeah. Um,
4: Merciful Fate, that was, I, I used to be a really big fan of that band back in the day, and You know, it's funny because looking back to think of some of the things that would allow to just pump into my head and enjoy. (laughs) Um, I mean, even well, within another context, I also think back to when I used to be into reggae music and uh, just really enjoying Bob Marley's song, Talking Blues. Well, when I think about it now, I realize, wait a minute, in that song, he says, I feel like bombing a church. Interesting. and he says it's because the preacher is lying and so thinking back I, I just think well back in the day when I was enjoying that song why didn't that ever stand out at me as wait a minute this is just not acceptable I mean this is supposed to be a peace and love guy and why is he singing about wanting to bomb a church That's interesting. you know it's because he disagreed with the theology So it's the same thing with Merciful Fate and one of their songs, having a straight up oath to Satan, to devote your life to Satan. There it is, just right there. It's amazing.
2: (laughs) I typed in Tyler the Creator, Alistair Crowley, and a cover of my original book, Prophet of the Evil, popped up. search. (laughs) So Somebody, Subliminal Synchrosphere OTO. Somebody must have, that must be an old article or something. Oh, you have arrived, William. I'm there. I'm there. I'm, I'm on a. I'm on a. A, a thing with Jay Z says, "Do what thou wilt." Uh-huh. That book is somewhere on the picture there. Interesting. There it is. Recall in the previous post, we mentioned Crowley and 911 and the Philemic undertones and numbers. 93 being the number of Philemon. That's correct. So yeah, I mean, it's all over the place. I mean, I think there's probably somebody in Hollywood who just initiates all these people in droves, don't you think? Probably some OTO member.
4: Well, you know, you mentioned Hollywood. Uh, I put up a post about how many times I've noticed the number 11 being um, an obvious feature of a movie. And okay. I mean, it's that was another one of those things that it literally never ended. You know how many times
2: right. I edited that article to add more stuff to it? It was crazy. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I, yeah, I've noticed that too. Once you kind of see an eye for that, it pops up. That's right. That's right. Once that's you right. have an eye. Talk about Kurt Hammett and Adam Jones. Isn't Kurt Hammett the guitarist of uh, Metallica? Yes. Was he into Crowley? I didn't know that.
4: You know, if you notice that section, they don't talk about Crowley. Okay. I gotta go the, the reason I included it is because of the underlying context, which is that these guys are bringing a very purposeful occultic philosophy into what they do as musicians.
2: Interesting. Gotcha.
4: Okay, so so that's something, yes, that's something they're very open about. And the, right before that, I mentioned the drummer from the band Tool, who is also incredibly open about it. He has, he has the Seal of Babylon and other sigils on his actual drums, and he says that basically he allows something to possess him, and he plays on his drums whatever the being is expressing through him.
2: Fascinating. Wow. That's straight up demon possession. I know he has one of the biggest original Crowley libraries in the world because he's collected everything.
4: And, and the thing about Kirk Hammett and then um, Adam Jones from the band Bad Religion is they t- they're they taking more of a philosophical approach in that what they're trying to do through, through their music isn't just to play music. And if you hear occultists or even new agers – Sometimes they'll talk about how what they do and how they do it, and the, sometimes even the colors that they wear, the words they use, the movements that they make all of it is meant to affect somebody subliminally, um, just affect them on every conceivable level. And so, like, here, uh, Hammett's talking about uh, a bee, there's a painting of a, the insect, a bee on his guitar. And he says, which is symbolic of knowledge, the Raven symbolizing secret knowledge. And then the all seeing eye symbolic of universal knowledge. So, you know, you look at his guitar and you're like, Oh, that's kind of wacky. All these, uh, cool figures on it. Well, to him, it means something and it's conveying something.
2: Right. Well, that makes sense. I didn't know that. I didn't know till now that the Raven represents secret knowledge. I knew it represented something, but it pops up all the time in, uh, Sons of Anarchy, all these other shows.
4: Oh, interesting. Yeah.
2: The Ravens all over the place. If you keep an eye, there's a lot of occult pictures and things like that of women holding ravens, things like that. makes perfect sense. makes perfect sense. Um, What else do you want to move on to? We've probably been talking a good 45 minutes, I think. Anything else you want to cover? Do you want to get into the kind of the more movies and, and comic references?
4: I was actually going to make a statement and then ask you a question, if you don't mind. <laughs> go for it. Start with. Uh, we can invert the whole thing. You can interview me. You want. Oh, yeah. No, in fact, um, why don't you quickly, if you remember off the top of your head, give us the names of the people you cover in your book.
2: Oh, that's a good question. Well, I really tried to go back from the beginning of the people that Crowley influenced. So not as much modern as you did. Right, like right. You kind of covered post-life Crowley 1947. I included people who uh, met Crowley in real life. So there were people like um, Ian Fleming who had known Crowley. There was another writer, a guy who wrote The Devil Rides Out, Dennis Wheatley, who was really the Stephen King of his age. Um, there And and wrote a lot of occult-related books, including a lot of stuff that influenced Ian Fleming's Bond series. Uh, so And then I also wrote about Augustus John, who was an interesting character who did about four um, you know, drafts or, or uh, firsthand drawings of Crowley's, Crowley sat for him. He was a famous artist. But the interesting thing about Augustus John is he was a libertine who actually had a daughter with Ian Fleming's mother. And so this girl, her name was Amaryllis Fleming, was kind of a an illegitimate daughter of Ian Fleming's mom. It's interesting. So you see this connection between Augustus John, who knew Crowley, right. And it, interestingly, Ian Fleming thought that Augustus John was the ideal representation of what a man should live like. And he, Augustus John was kind of like a not a hermit. He was like a, what what's the word for it in England? He's basically not a uh, what are the people bohemian? Oh, bohemian, yeah, bohemian's a good word. But traveled around with his wife and his girlfriend, both living together. And he used to make a joke like. I never know which of these kids is mine, like walking around. Oh wow! Yeah, because yeah, he was uh, like that. But yeah, Augustus John was a really a remarkable character. But it ties Fleming to Crowley, and um, and you know Ian Fleming wrote his first book, which was Casino Royale. The the character his name was um I can't remember his name, but he's based upon Crowley. Um, it was Schif, S C H I F F R E. The cipher was this big, fat headed guy, bald, based upon Crowley. But uh, yeah, Ian Fleming was it. I mean, you had these. Who else did I include in those early ones? JFC Fuller, who was an early follower of Crowley, wrote a book with Crowley and ended up influencing Hitler's forces and actually went to Hitler's 50th birthday in Berlin. Um, so, and there's actual interesting inter, interrelation between this mass killer, Hitler, and JFC uh, Fuller. I would actually kind of you can make a damn a very good argument that. Hitler was really a political Crowley kind of put all his his ideas into uh, into work this this kind of slave shall serve slave state uh, you know be off the weak and they actually Hitler and I include Hitler in my book they actually said similar things Crowley said success is is your is the um, sign is the perfect result or the perfect result of action is success or something and, and Hitler said something very similar to that I just believe success was the right result you know result of action is to victory. Um, it comes out of the book of the law. It's an interesting thing. And yeah, so, you know, I've covered a lot. The book is long, it's about 400 pages. It has tons of footnotes, but uh, I really kind of just went, who was the other one? It was Somerset Mom, who included Crowley in his book, The Magician, this kind of character. And you cover uh, Oliver Haddo, yes. right? So Oliver yep. Haddo is also was used Sometime later in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So this character who is definitely Crowley. And there's an interrelate Crowley writes a, about Somerset Mom, who was best friends with Ian Fleming. So when Ian Fleming had his first heart attack, the first person who visited him was Somerset Mom. So these guys, you know, all kind of operated together in the same, you know, culture. Um, so I tried to show that in the early parts of uh, Children and the Beast. And then, you know, I talk about kind of later characters, anger. Um, I think, it's, you know, Manson, one of the interesting things about Anger is the direct tie into the Manson family, but they never really talk about it when they talk about Charles Manson. The fact that Bobby Bousillet lived with Kenneth Anger and was in Lucifer Rising is, I think, a, a vitally important part of the whole Manson story, but it's always left out. But that's just a little bit that I can remember off the top of my head. Well, and... Uh... I
4: did that on, did purpose, it on purpose, you know, uh, respecting I your work, work so, so much, much and knowing what you were covering. I purposefully wanted my book to be more like the modern day version of it. So I think that they work well together in that way.
2: I agree. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here. I didn't really know about so much Japanese anime, Crowley stuff. I didn't know a lot of cartoon stuff. Oh, so yeah. Anime is just yeah.
4: saturated with occult.
2: I had no idea yeah. so that's really fa- that was really fascinating at least for my reading but uh, yeah I mean it's remarkable I mean the thing is is that you can see these ties from Crowley to, to Fleming and James Bond and here's James Bond the one of the most influential right. uh, you know movie series and book series in human history influenced by a guy who tried to get was talking to Crowley about the Hess you know the thing is is Fleming lured Hess into northern England. And then had him captured, based upon a fake pretense that there was an, uh, a conservative group that would try to negotiate with the English government for peace against Germany. And Hess was, you know, the third number three in the Third Reich. Like this was not a low-level person. Um, Hess, yeah. So, and he's involved in Hess is trying to debrief. They actually Crowley offered his services to debrief Hess. Yes. Um, so it's it's really fascinating this kind of ties that are. St- I mean. The World War Two was seventy years ago. It's not that long. There's still people alive who went through that, you know. So
4: right, because Ian Fleming wasn't just an author; he was involved in British intelligence.
2: Absolutely. I mean, he. But he wasn't just involved. He actually sat underneath the um, head of their Admiralty. Um, so, like the Lucky Land Casino, asking people, "What's
0: the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?"
3: Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah ha! In
1: my dentist's office.
5: Computer solitaire,
0: huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase Over by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: The United States has kind of four different military branches, but the real military branch in England is the seafaring branch. That's the most powerful aspect of the British military. And and Fleming was basically the guy right underneath the top. And the guy who ran it, I can't remember his name offhand, but he said Fleming was a war winner. And you can see pictures of Fleming is clearly traveling around. There's pictures of him with uh, Lucky Luciano. Um, so he knew all these guys, and there's a lot of stuff that he can, there's interviews of him, of Ian Fleming with uh, Canada public television where he's saying i could tell you stories but i'd be in violation of the secrecy act you know (laughs) so there's all these stories that he took he took vignettes from his from real-time stuff that he experienced and put it in james bond so all of these gambling sequences where they're always gambling with the enemy those are all things that he did while he was in portugal and one of the interesting aspects of fleming is he wrote the 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 foundational document for the american cia so he put this together, and the United States uh, absorbed all of these uh, ideas that Fleming had. So Fleming is really a remarkable character, spoke fluent German, you know, uh, really some, something else. But really, super talented. Came from a banking family, was the best athlete at Eton t- two years in a row, um, but unfortunately, kind of pissed it all away on high living and cigarettes. Like he had a heart, <laughs> a, he had a heart attack and didn't stop smoking. So wow. Yeah, not wise. And he always was a high liver. He always went to get to the best restaurants and always had gin and smokes. So it's not, not a way to have a long life. So, But he when he died, the he, they had a, uh, his gravestone wasn't a normal gravestone. It was the, uh, what do you call it? Masonic um, obelisk style gravestone. So it's pretty clear that he was affiliated with the secret knowledge, at least in my opinion. And, you know, they intersperse it throughout a lot of his books. Ouroboros is included in one. And I have to go back. I'd love to sit down and read all his books and really decipher them, decode them, but I just haven't had the time. Oh, Any my, other questions? Anything else? Yeah. Well, this is what I want to ask you. Yeah. You asked ask me a question. Then I want to talk about your <laughs> other books that you've been on a furious pace of publishing books on Amazon. So yeah, we can lay the groundworks for another interview you know, next month where we can cover, I would love to talk to you about some of your other research. Sure. What do you got? Well, I mean, why don't you, why, <laughs> why don't you tell, let's see, what was the one that I saw that was about religion? You wrote one, the title of which looked very intriguing. It is, well, you did that. Pop Atheist Bible Expositors featuring oh. Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitch and Sam Harris, Dan Barker and Neil D. Now these are, this is a very relevant salient book for the present day because these guys are all over everywhere chris uh, Sam cool. Harris Tyson and Dawkins really control the narrative regarding this kind of uh stuff so yes I mean, I, let me just to let you know I wrote read the intro about Sam Harris's book on Christianity I can't remember the title of it but I yeah. broke out laughing it was such a joke it's so bad <laughs> it was such a, like a poor understanding of the book that it didn't have any basis in what was written in the new testament but i've so I, for me, when I see Sam Harris talking, I just kind of smirk. I'm
4: like, okay, whatever. Right, but the thing is you are discerning enough and you have the background knowledge to know it's nonsense, but a lot of his um, young, angry, rebellious teenage fans, they just, oh, Sammy said it? Well, then it must be true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, so that was kind of an interesting book because what I did is not focus on everything they have to say about religion and God, but specifically their statements about the contents of the Bible and how, you know, frankly, how badly they mis
2: they misunderstand. Yeah. I mean, and don't you think some of that misunderstanding is intentional because it doesn't, if they understood it, it wouldn't fit into their scientistical outlook. Yeah. It, it, to say that
4: it's purposeful would be going a little beyond my comfort level because i would kind of have to be able to read the motivation of their hearts you know Uh, right so i would definitely say that there's enough information out there um that they should know better especially being as smart as they claim to be
2: (laughs) right well i mean i would think christopher Hitchens is a brilliant guy uh an atheist but still brilliant and these guys claim to be super intelligent but they i mean there was a there's a i gotta send you this link online it was a youtube Question: Where somebody asked Richard Dawkins for the full title of of uh, the um, yeah Origin of, of the Species, origin, yeah. he, he couldn't spit it out. No, <laughs> um, he just like ate his words. And the full title is Origin of the Species, or what is it the 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 basis the the base the struggle for races races in the struggle for survival or something, right? So it's like it's a race manual. It has a racist implication to it struggle of the favored races in the battle, the evolutionary struggle for the favored races in the battle for survival or something
4: like that. Yeah, it was um, on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle
2: for life. That's it. Or the preservation of favored races in the struggle See, for life. The, they conveniently n- never talk about that. No, now, okay, the
4: reason Dawkins was asked that question is because a study had come out about how many Christians so-called, how many Christians in the UK could not even name the first book of the Bible, or didn't know their order, or which gospel came first and all this. And so that's what happened. They turned it around on Dawkins to talk about his favorite book, and yeah, he he didn't know the title. But see, that now you're sad. getting me uh, off into this subject. So Sorry, basically, my no, no, it, it's fine. It's just that uh, what, I'm thinking about how What what happens in atheism is, okay, so you have this concept of the struggle for life. Okay, so basically um, what happens in atheism is death, pain, and
2: suffering is... Thank you for listening. That was Ken Ami discussing his book about Aleister Crowley's influence upon modern culture. The rest of the interview can be found at my YouTube channel, William Ramsey Investigates.